0: Today I hope to show you that by starting your day in God's Word, we can live renewed by God's love and grace. By starting our day in God's Word, we can live renewed by God's love and grace. This past Thursday, I woke up pretty early um, because of Dietrich He kind of acts as our alarm these days. We don't even have to set one at this point. Uh, He so regularly gets us up way before we want to be up. (laughs) Um, On this particular day, um, it was just before the youth retreat. I'm going to have all the teens over. I'm preparing some talks. And I've already been doing a lot of reading, and I'm ready to start that writing process, uh, or actually continue the writing process. And so this Thursday was kind of the day for it. And I didn't think ahead enough, as often happens, and so I had Dietrich instead of my mother-in-law. Um, and Dietrich wakes up a little bit too early, and Cherish graciously gets up with him and allows me to sleep in a little bit. So I, I wake up a little bit later than I had initially hoped. Um, have a cup of coffee with Cherish. We sit on the back porch, and it's a great time. And then she's like, "Oh, I got to get out the door," and so she she gets packed up and like I warm up her food and she gets out the door and at this point Dietrich's asleep for a nap but the closing of the door awakens the baby and here we go I'm not writing still Uh, haven't really done anything at this point in the day and Dietrich is awake it's time for him to eat and I'm like okay it's fine we're gonna get him fed and then we're going to I'm gonna be able to write and so He's been doing this thing recently where it takes him like an hour to an hour and 15 minutes to like eat, uh, which is just so fun, just sitting there. Like him, like he'll be, and then he'll just like jerk his head to the side and like refuse the bottle. And, but then he wants it. He'll cry if you don't give it to him. So hour and a half process at times. Um, so he finally finishes the bottle, has a little bit of a playtime, and he's ready to go down. And I'm like, awesome, here we go, going to write. He is sleeping for, I'd say, a total of 15 to 20 minutes. And that, this just becomes the pattern for the day. I get nearly nothing done. Um, it is an, a completely unproductive day. And by the end of the day, I have an unfinished mes- message for the youth retreat. Um, I've had no intentional time of reading or praying. Like, I, I put it off at the beginning of the day. I was like, I'll wait until, you know, I have a little bit of quiet time. just never came up. So, you know, I didn't even start the day in God's word, didn't even end the day in God's word. And my lack of, I'm frustrated in the end by my lack of productivity and my lack of attentiveness to actually what I say I care about the most, right? And spending time with God. Maybe my day sounds familiar. Um, Maybe you don't have a baby at home. Let's say that's the majority of us. But you've had this feeling, right? That... You had plans. You had intentions for the day. You know like what needs to happen in order to make those plans take place, and it just doesn't work out. Um, I have no idea what your morning routine is. Uh, I'd like for you to consider what that is, though, because we each have one. For me, it's a wake-up call from Dietrich. What is it for you? How do you wake up each day after the alarm goes off? Is it multiple snoozes? Is it um, your parents yelling at you? Is it your husband or wife yelling at you, <laughs> saying like you've gotta get up? <laughs> is it that you've snoozed so long and then, oh, it's time to go out the door and get to work, so I'm gonna, I was gonna take a shower, but I don't think I need it that much anymore. <laughs> and you just take off, like what is your morning routine? I don't know what yours is in particular, but I bet it's similar to mine. Uh, it's probably like me at times, regardless of your life stage that you end up pressed for time, failing to do what you set out to do, and leaving behind often what matters most. What my day lacked is what Tish Warren calls the imprint of God. She describes how animals in the wild are born um, and raised by their own kind, and as they're, they're raised by their mothers, they, they receive this imprint of their own kind. And so they, they recognize at a young age that care and love and food most importantly right comes from uh, another bear right If, if you're a bear then a bear is what is imprinted on this little cub but the this can actually happen differently you're like well of course that's that totally makes sense but what has happened sometimes is like there are these rescue missions where people will like find a cub that there's no mother like maybe the mother's been killed something's happened and this cub is just like not able to fend for itself, like it's not going to make it as just this little thing and so the people will take it and care for it in like a setting of a zoo or a whatever those habitats are that people create to rehabilitate animals. And what the animal learns, it gets this imprint from humans, right? So the human becomes like the caregiver and the the goal, Of these places that rehabilitate animals is to then take the animal back to the wild and it's gonna do fine out there but what they've learned is if they do this in the wrong way then they become so dependent on humans that it has no idea to do once it's out in the wild it has a human imprint so they like a a cub that's found it's been abandoned they take it in they care for it it actually learns that humans are the only ones that care for it and whenever it's around other bears it's not even going to recognize like that life and meaning can come from other bears because only humans are the things that gives it life and meaning and food so it can't care for itself what my day and what many of our days lack is this imprint what Tish Warren calls the imprint of God. She describes this, what happens with animals, but then comes to relate this to humans and the way that we wake up each day. Whenever we wake up haphazardly, we imprint our day in a particular direction, towards a a particular way of understanding the world. We We wake up with our phone in our hand, checking the news, and the day becomes like this day of worry and of what's going to happen next. And it's all about our safety or about the next crisis or this desire for what is the next new thing. We wake up and we begin to get every task done and our day becomes imprinted in this thing of like we matter because we can be successful. We can accomplish things. And our days are imprinted in all of these ways, by ourself, our money, our efficiency, or God. How we start our day shapes what happens after this point. We as a church must daily be imprinted by God's love as revealed in Scripture. I think we see this here in Ephesians chapter 3. Whenever we look at Paul's prayer for a young church in the region of Ephesus, Paul prays for this church that's surrounded by devotion to false gods and entertainment to be imprinted instead of being imprinted by the culture around them to be imprinted by God's love. He's driving home a major point to this young church. Because of Christ's love that conquered death, you are now a new people. Unlike who you once were, your identity be identity has been radically changed from strangers and foreigners and people who were pagans to adopted sons and daughters. Now this is a this is a tough transition. This is a complete identity change. Um, Some of you guys maybe have heard of this. I only recently learned of this from a documentary, but um, there was a terrible thing that took place in Cambodia in the late 70s, 1975 to 1979. Um, 1.7 million people were killed in what was called the killing fields of Cambodia. As a a new dictator came into power, and people were like, the, the old system had failed, the Cambodians were like, yes, this is great and he promised a lot of good, and what he actually did was bring the people, he wanted to make Cambodia not a modern city, but a, a more agrarian um, city, uh, state as it once was. So he removed everyone from the cities, and as he brought them out of the fields, anyone who had ties to outside influences and anybody who was in any way opposed to the, Cambodian, the new Cambodian government was killed. And 1.7 million of their own people were killed in these fields and the others were enslaved like forced to work in the rice fields and it was a terrible terrible thing that unfolded and there was a man um, during this time who he was in Cambodia this begins to unfold and he realizes that the situation is dire and there's really nothing left for him in Cambodia he sees the direction that it's going and he's ready to get out. And the UN, at this point, had organized um, refugee camps around the world. And Cambodian families, the, the the lucky few who were able to get out, were able to choose where they wanted to go. And this man and his family, uh, his his name was Uncle Ted, is as, as what he became known as, but Ted Ngoy. He knew he had to escape, and he chose to go to America. And he ends up in... A refugee camp in California and as he gets there he's willing to do whatever to get his family established in this new country it did not matter where he had come from what mattered is where he was now and that this is a place that's willing to accept an immigrant who is in dire need and so he he gets a job as a janitor at a a Lutheran Church and then he gets a job at a gas station And then he gets a job at another place and he's just working around the clock to be able to establish his family in this new land and he fully embraced an identity as american and the american dream that he could be successful and he ended up being called the donut king and started a bunch of donut shops Um, and that that's a whole nother story but the point that i want to make is that ted as he came over it was not very difficult for him to go from cambodia to america and to say I'm not Cambodian, like I am of Cambodian descent, but I am American. Like I want to be American because in this land, I can actually be free. I'm not in constant danger. I can make something for my family. He saw the hope. It was easy to reject that other identity. For us today, I would argue that it's much more difficult to reject the identity that we came up in because oftentimes we actually kind of like the identity that we grew up in. We, um, we aren't under like the threat of being killed on a daily basis, likely, I would say. Um, we, we live in a pretty prosperous nation. Like We have things pretty good. It's not easy for us to say, okay, I'm, I'm not this, this most defines me. But what Paul wants to establish here is that actually in Christ the old ways that you identified yourself, the old ways that you thought of yourself as are not what is most important. What most matters is who you are in Christ. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 of Ephesians, he talks about this. He says, you used to be deserving of wrath. You were opposed to God, children of darkness, dead in your sins. But now... Through Christ, you've been made alive. You who were dead have been made alive. You are saved by His grace, not a thing that you were able to do on your own, but instead by His gracious love that He saved you. So you have been given this new identity in Christ and now are actually seated at the right hand of the Father with Christ. Like your life is united with His. You are an inheritor of the promise. You have a new identity. You are his handiwork designed to live for him. This is tough for us to grasp because we grew up in America and because we love our families. A lot of us love our families. We enjoy the way that we understand ourselves. We maybe see ourselves as American. Maybe you see yourself as country versus urban or you're urban versus country. Maybe you see yourself as a millennial, or a booer, a Gen Z, or you're a husband, you're a wife, you're a child. These are true and actually can be really good things, right? But actually what's most basic about you is not any of that. That's not who you are. Your lives are more than what you are outwardly. You were ad- adopted by the Father and made for the same sort of fellowship with him that Jesus enjoyed as he was with the disciples and the crowds, and he spent time with the Father, pouring out his heart and hearing God's call, right, whenever Jesus was here on earth, he didn't just, like, live haphazardly. He didn't just say, like, okay, well, I know that my Father, the creator of the universe, has sent me here for a mission, and so I'm just gonna do that thing. He still found time to get away from the crowds, To spend time in prayer, to be able to reflect on what his father had revealed to him through the scriptures. He was constantly doing this because he wanted to be grounded in the mission. He wanted to be grounded in his identity of who God had called him to be and what he had called him to do. And in the same way, we are unified with Christ, but that doesn't mean that we we like don't have to do those things. Like that it's not helpful for us to find our identity. Like we have to do the same thing Jesus did. We are able to grasp our identity. We are able to embrace that identity and, be, and have that imprint of God on a daily basis whenever we wake up and we win the day. We start the day in God's word. Your lives are more than what you've been outwardly. You're adopted by the Father and made for this fellowship. Look at Ephesians 3, starting in verse 14. Paul says this as he prays for the church. He says, For this reason... I bow my knees to the Father of of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom uh, the whole family in heaven and on earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with the saints what is the width, and the length, and depth, and height, to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Faith Church, you are made for a unified existence with the Father. You exist as a people, not identified first by the things that you've done, your greatest successes, Not by the things, the ways that you've failed. Like the the thing that whenever you think about it, your face still gets red. That's not the thing that most defines you. What most defines you is that you are identified as adopted by the Father, loved, fought for, desirable, and called holy. He prays that the Holy Spirit would strengthen the church so that the church can experience the presence of Christ through the Holy Spirit. You were created for a fellowship with him. Being adequately rooted and grounded in love, knowing the love of Christ and filled with God's fullness, knowing Christ and his love results in his presence. It starts with this head knowledge where you begin to grasp the story, but it, it ends in this heart knowledge where you know his love deep within you, that you experience the love of Christ. It's what you were created Four, the Holy Spirit brings the fullness of God to the believer through our faith and a depth of knowledge and understanding of his love. So the question that we, or the the thing that I wanna prove this morning is that the way that we get there is not by going to church once a week and hearing a sermon and just expecting that that's gonna like carry us through. It's not by having gone to a revival meeting 20 years ago and gone down to the altar and prayed a prayer. I think that was a great thing that you did, or that I did whenever I was at a camp. And there was that really big moment where God worked in my heart, but that is not the thing that sustains you day by day. We are not riding on an experience long ago. We are called to be renewed by his grace, by his love, rooted in his love every day. So how do we get there? How can we experience an unbroken fellowship, with our Father through the highs and lows of our days. We're actually much better at answering the opposite question, which is how do we live on empty, weary, and forgetful of God's presence, right? We can all answer that one. Um, We have that one down. All you have to do is, a lot of times, what you and I are currently doing, right? It's whenever we live haphazardly, hoping that we have that feeling that we had a decade ago. Like that somehow it's just going to be conjured up in us at the Sunday service, and if it didn't happen, it's Pastor Daniel's fault for not preaching a good enough sermon. Like if only Pastor Daniel were a better preacher, and then we would have those feelings that we had so long ago of God's love. We, we expect that. Or maybe we only turn to God in times of stress or of sorrow. Great tragedies happen in our life, and we're like, man, if only God's presence were here right now. But where are you, God? Where are you? Maybe we spend tons of time online shopping and scrolling for our fee- on our feeds and social media of choice. And at the end, we kind of expect somehow that we're going to feel satisfaction. We're going to experience um, what we were hoping for. We, we live to achieve and, and uh, get a, a status of success, like you're a successful person. You have accomplished something. Wow, you get a lot done. Oh, you're really busy. You're doing awesome. This is not the way that we experience God's presence, right? And we know that because it hasn't worked so far. So how do we get there? Maybe you actually are on the other end and your your failure is a bit more spiritual. You see Jesus' work as like a baby step in a, a long road of living for Jesus, Remember there was that time whenever you had that experience of the love of Christ in the gospel and you recognized his great love, but now you've got to figure out how to live. And it's all about the things that you can do at this point. And whenever you're doing the right things, it feels like you're experiencing his love and grace, but whenever you're not, it feels like, wait, did did anything even happen back then? I don't know if I'm even right with God here. And what, what you've done is you've made your spiritual life the measure of whether you have a relationship with God. His love is dependent on your action. Instead, we have to use a surefire way of not living a divided existence. We can't live a Christianity that's achieved or that's ignored. We have to live a, we cannot live a Christianity that is, Without Christ. That doesn't even make sense. It's just yanity, you know? Right? And we've tried it. Yanity doesn't work. We need Christianity. We need to live in Christ. Why does this describe our experience? Why does this describe the experience of those who are faithful to church? Paul here calls us. No, he invites us. He invites us to never be alone. To live constantly renewed by the presence of God. Living in his fullness. By his Holy Spirit's power. Communicating the work of Christ. To become deeply rooted in Christ and his love. And to be always filled by his presence. So how do we do it? Do we need to have another experience? No. What we need is to realize that the We do not live our spiritual lives in the big moments that we we felt 10 years ago at camp or the big moments, that like epiphany that you had as you were reading Romans that one time and it was amazing, but rather in the day-to-day grind of spending time in his word and of recognizing his grace and love every single day. How do we live in his presence on a daily basis and not just in spurts? It's got to be sustainable. We've got to daily be yearning to know him, recognizing that our heart's greatest desire is for God. In 2 Corinthians 4.16, Paul would say something very similar to what we just read in Ephesians 3. He said, Though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is renewed Day by day. He adds on this part, day by day, which I think is very important. Paul recognized that there was a daily renewal happening in the midst of persecution, that daily he felt renewed and refreshed. I don't think that's because he was just living haphazardly. I don't think that Paul was just depending on what had happened 20 years ago. I think Paul was daily experiencing God's grace. How do we do that today? We win the day. We've been here before. Uh, Winning the day is not new to Faith Church. Some of us have the stickers on our Bibles. Uh, Some of us did it for a little spurt. But here we are again, knowing that this is absolutely what we need to be able to live in God's grace. Why do we need to start our day in God's Word? It sets the tone for our day. It leaves the imprint of God on us. It shapes our day. If we start the day behind, oversleeping, running late, and expecting to feel frantic, and we can expect to feel frantic and worried and exhausted, and we actually learn something from that day. We learn that we're failures. Um, I've, I've learned this many times. Um, we start the day on our phone, looking at a text from a coworker or a family member that brings up a point of argument or communicates a disappointment or frustration. And what do we learn? I'm loved whenever I can figure out each puzzling relationship. I'm loved whenever I can figure out my actions and figure out how to appropriately relate to those around me. We start the day maybe sometimes driven, right? You're on top of your task. You're productive. You are getting stuff done. It feels good. Like you just knocked out that to-do list that you created while you were sleeping. um, And then you got up and you got it done. What are you going to learn? You're worthy because of what you accomplished, right? What's most basic to who you are is that you're able to accomplish something. Start your day scrolling through videos or pictures or memes, and you're gonna learn that you are most basically, you have this need to be entertained, that you're happy whenever you're entertained, and you need more entertainment. Each one of these starts sets you up for an understanding of yourself and your place in the world. However, Paul prays that you would have a day a day-by-day renewal at the deepest level of your existence by experiencing and evermore understanding the love of God in Jesus. and that as a result, you would understand that you were equipped to be able to live in the world, right? You were equipped for a specific reason. You were the handiwork of God designed for a specific purpose. So how can we start the day in a way that sets the tone for this message that Jesus loves me? and goes into everything that we do. We have to read God's Word. We have to understand His love. Now, I can't, the reason that we're in this passage, and we're not in other passages, um, like a passage that says, thou shalt read the Bible every day, it just doesn't say that anywhere, and part of the reason for that, right, is that they didn't have the Bible. Um, Like, the Bible existed, yes, but most of the time, there, was, there would maybe be like a copy of the scriptures. And most likely, it would be mostly the Old Testament in this time that they would have access to in one particular place. Most of this is committed to memory. They're, they're learning and re- being reminded of God's, uh, God's blessings, God's, who God is through memorizing God's word, through the things that they put to memory. And then also through Paul's letters that are reminding them of God's word. And then they're even putting those things to memory. Today, we don't have to do that. Although maybe that would be really good for us is just to depend on our memories. Today, we have access. Every one of us has access to his word. And yet, we of most people are like the least dedicated to knowing it, right? They didn't have it, but they knew it. We have it. We don't know it. The beginning of, knowing the lo- of experiencing the love of God is knowing, comprehending the love of God as we engage in the scriptures. We have to read about the love of the Father in Jesus, revealed by the Spirit through the Word. And maybe you say, well, I've tried that. Uh, if this isn't the first time we've gone through one the day I've tried. It just doesn't work. I don't have the time. You're quite right. Um, I don't think you do have the time because right now your time is being used in other ways. Uh, Oftentimes, um, we have to break away from certain things in order to add certain things. To add another thing to what you're already doing can make you feel like you're overwhelmed, right? So there are things that have to be removed. Um, The extra hour that you stay up watching a show because you, quote-unquote, can't go to sleep, um, is in reality keeping you from the sleep that you need in order to get up at the time that you want to get up, right? It's not that we don't have the time, it's that we're spending the time in different places. Tish Warren also says that what you will give up sleep for is actually what you most love. Um, And I, I love that idea. What do you give up sleep for? Is it for relationships? There are really good things that you can give up sleep for. I'm, I'm the first to tell you, I will give up sleep to be able to hang out with people. I love hanging out with people. Uh, Cherish is not on board with that idea. So it's a tough balance to strike there. <laughs> but whenever I was, whenever I first moved here, I remember one of my friends calling me, 11 a.m., and he's like, hey, man, we're all hanging out at... Our house and you're welcome to go come in and it's like a Wednesday night like a work night and the thing that i most valued valued at that point in life some relationships right these relationships with my friends didn't have a lot of community and I was like alright and I just took off like 11 got there like 11:30 stayed up till like 2 or 3 in the morning hanging out and then went to work at Booneville Middle School at 8 and it didn't bother me at all because I was like you know I'm tired but man I've got good friends and this feels good. What we're willing to give up our sleep for is what we most care about. Sometimes it's lame stuff. Sometimes it's online shopping, where we're just scrolling through stuff, and it's like, why are we looking at these pots and pans on Amazon again? Maybe, maybe it's just looking at memes. Maybe it's scrolling through your TikTok or Reels um, or the news. Maybe it's just text messages. Maybe it's FaceTiming someone. What you most care about is what you'll lose sleep for. And the opposite is also true that what you're willing to sleep for is is going to be what what you care about as well, right? So if you will say, I'm not, I'm gonna go to sleep at this time, like it was 12, but maybe I'll do 11 so that I can wake up at 7, right? You're, you're actually able to get up in time to be able to win the day. If you right now say, I'm going to win the day tomorrow, but I'm going to change absolutely nothing about my life, about my life except tomorrow I'm going to wake up 30 minutes earlier, I'm going to go and tell you, you're going to fail. It's not going to work. That's just not the way that your body works, your circadian rhythm and all that. Like you have to make a bigger change. There's going to have to be going to bed earlier. You've got to plan to be able to spend time in God's word, to be able to experience his love. Um, sometimes it can feel like the point of my relationship with Dietrich. The point of having Dietrich at our house is to keep him on schedule. I don't know if you've ever heard Cherish and I talk about his schedule. If you've been around the nursery at all, you you know that we, we talk about this. We've got a, it's a big thing. Sometimes we get made fun of for the schedule, and it's okay. Um, we really care about it. There are, like, these feeding times and nap times. Really, the nap times are kind of lenient, depending on, like, how long he stays up but he gets fussy we put him down he wakes up and we're trying to feed him at a particular time so if he wakes up early he didn't wake up on time for that nap time i don't have my my watch on it so his next feeding it, it should have been at ten thirty. he actually ate early today but life can become like all about uh, dietrich eating at the appropriate time and it can seem like the point of my relationship with dietrich is to feed him at the appropriate time and that's really not the point, right? <laughs> like, the reason that I do that is because I love him and I care about him. And I want him to, to be able to live his best life, like, whenever he's awake. And be, like, super happy and chipper and have the, the best time of being awake. Be the sweetest and, like, the most calm and have his needs met. And this is a way that we ensure that we can do that. But if I'm not careful, I can make it about, like... This is more important than the time with Dietrich, and I'm just frustrated at him whenever he wakes up super early, as he did this morning at 3.30 a.m. <laughs> the point is so that he can experience that love, so that he can, we can experience the joy of having a baby. And the point of winning the day is not winning the day, right? The point of winning the day is not to because, like, you need to read the Bible because reading the Bible is the most important thing. And if you don't read the Bible, then you're going to hell. Like, that's not what I'm saying. That's not the point. Reading the Bible is important because in reading the Bible, you experience the love of God. It's a means to an end. The way that God has revealed himself and his love and his grace and the way that you are deeply rooted in his grace and love is through interacting with his word. It's how his Holy Spirit works in us. It's how we, we have the fullness of God in us, his, the experience of his presence. We can't do it apart from God's word. Getting into God's word is not an end. It's a means, but it's necessary. We've, if we want to know the love and grace of God on a daily basis, then we have to get in the word. Um, many of you guys probably know this because I think you were around for it, but in... Um, 2020, we were getting married the week that COVID went down. Um, Cherish and I had been engaged for five months or something, and we're so looking forward to this day, and we're going to have this big wedding. And it just wasn't very conducive to COVID because they ended up saying, you can have 10 people. And so here in this auditorium, we had 10 people. um, And we had, or it was maybe 11 people with the two photographers. But we, we did it, and it was like, man, it was awesome, but it was also disappointing. You know what I mean? It was not the wedding that we had hoped for. And so a year later, uh, I also just did not plan ahead very well for this, but about a month out from our anniversary, I was like, you know what? Cherish, she had just expressed something about not being able to put on her her dress again. Like, I'm never going to wear it again. And she was sad about it. Like, I'm never going to have the wedding that I had hoped to have. And so I was like, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna pl- replan this thing. Cherish has basically already planned the wedding. All I have to do is replan it. Um, just reconfirm all the things that she had once confirmed. And so I started the process. And I'm like, I'm not gonna com- like commit to this or say like we're gonna put any money down until we can make sure these key people are here. And I call over bridesmaids and they were all able to make it, make it. And I was like, all right, this is happening. We're doing it. So uh, we, we planned this like renewal ceremony. And we're able to celebrate our wedding semi in the way that we had originally hoped to celebrate it. And it was just amazing. Like, and Cherish has expressed, like, so much gratitude. And she's expressed, like, how loved she felt in that moment of me um, planning, putting all of this effort into it. Whenever I, if, if you've never seen the video, it's actually on my Facebook. But I, like, sent her an invitation, like, in a card. And she she opens up the the letter and she's like what is this like she has no idea and she's like are you serious are we getting married next week again and it was just such a moment of joy and an expression of my love right and man i look back on it and i'm like that was that was pretty awesome like i did a pretty good job <laughs> to be honest you know but the thing about doing a big act of love like that, like I, everybody's been there. Maybe you didn't replan your wedding, but you've done something that was like super inconvenient for the sake of the person that you loved to make them feel really special. And whenever you do that, it's great. And it's a moment of joy and of unveiling a great surprise, right? But it's not the end of the relationship, right? It's a part of it. And I can look back, and I can be like, that was a great moment. But if tomorrow Cherish told me she wasn't feeling very loved, and I was like, hey, Cherish, you remember two and a half years ago whenever I planned that thing? <laughs> <laughs> she would be like, what? What, you, what does this have to do with anything? No, I, I love you, remember? That's, it's not going to be very effective, is it? <laughs> what she needs is to daily know that I care about her. To daily note, like, if if she was sick, as she was last night, if she was sick last night, I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I don't want to help you out. Like, that's kind of nasty and you're gross right now. Um, She would probably not feel very loved. It wouldn't matter what I did two and a half years ago. There's got to be this daily experience of knowing that I care about her through listening, through mundane, ordinary things that I do, sharing a meal together, what happened a long time ago doesn't sustain us forever. And the same is true in our relationship with God. That we don't, it's, it's not that God's love changes. I'm like, my, my love can actually change um, for cherish. We don't need the assurance because we're like, I don't know, did God turn his back on me? That doesn't happen. God's love is so steady. It's sure. It's steadfast. It never fails. He's the faithful lover when we are unfaithful. But In order to experience his love, we have to know about it. We have to daily get into his word and to understand how his work of redemption, his his work that cared for people who were dead in their sins, rebels against his will, indifferent to his love and his plan for their lives. And then we look in God's word and we see this unveiling plan and we come to recognize God's love. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's not easy. Not every day are you going to be like, wow, I just feel so loved by that passage that I read in Ecclesiastes. Like, it doesn't feel like that sometimes. Not every passage feels like that. But to feel and to experience God's love, you have to begin to comprehend it. And you have to daily be reminded of it, refreshed by it. We can experience a day-by-day renewal as we win the day. Without it, we are prone to forget what God says about us, what our identity is in Christ, and what we're called to do here on the earth. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes.